Stability during the winds of change. This is a message this week and next will be from my heart to you. Just some things that as uh, I've been praying, as I've talked to people throughout this last year, some of the things that are on my heart, their hearts as well. And I think one of the things that's really important as we move into 2024 being an election year, which some of you may embrace and some of you wish wasn't going to happen, but you know, a lot of things are going on in our society that are very turbulent, uh, changes, uh, even in our church. So I think we want to start with, with this year, ending this year and thinking of the new year about stability during the winds of change. In Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 11, uh, he lays out uh, all these things that go through seasons of change. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children in its time or, or of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we commit this message, this time into your hands. We thank you for the power of the word of God. And Lord, you know, sitting in this room, where everybody's heart is, Lord. And as we send out the word, as you send it out through me, Lord, I'm just merely your messenger. Lord, I pray that it would meet the needs of the hearts here in this room. You've ordained us to be together here this morning. And we just pray that you will uh, allow us to receive what you have for us. As we look into your word today, we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This is going to be a very different message, and uh, I'm going to actually give you the application before we get to the Bible teaching in a few moments, but for introduction, facing the reality that things are changing. As I said, this message is inspired by numerous people in our church who are concerned about how fast the world is changing and how things change at our church. Think about 2023. Think about all the changes that occurred in our church. First of all, you're seated in an area that changed dramatically. We began talking about it, you know, back into 2022, but it actually came about in 2023 of giving to the remodel fund, of then uh, making the changes here in the worship center, and soon the lobby will be finished as well. On November 19th, we said goodbye to Austin, Melissa, and Norrin Fink. Nick Holcomb became our interim worship leader, which we're very grateful for. For this season, Pat Stewart took on the role for VBS director, we welcomed a number of new people into our church, and sadly, we've had a few leave us for other churches in the community or places elsewhere. And then last Sunday, we honored Jim Gray as he retired from being our treasurer. And sadly, as we just heard from Drew, the Zanke family is leaving. So this is just some of the few changes. Remember, the church is an organism. 
And it's not an organization. Churches go through ebbs and flows of growth and decline at times. It's all part of God's master plan for his bride. The elder team, Carrie Barfels and the ministry team are constantly evaluating and looking at changes that could help us be more effective in our work and ministry, to be more efficient with our time and resources, and to save money when it comes to our budget. Some of the things I'm learning, one of the things I'm learning this year is what it is to have chronic pain. Just for me to stand here for 35 minutes is tough. In two weeks, a week from Wednesday, I'm going to be having uh, surgery to replace my left hip. And I'm really understanding what people go through uh, as they deal with lack of sleep and how to go through uh, seeing declining your workouts. I, this summer, I went to Kenya. If I had to go to Kenya today, I couldn't make it. Um, this summer, I was walking three miles, and Ian Fink had me running up the stairs at the Y five times each, each time I had a workout. Now, I'm down to water aerobics, okay? So you see, you learn about your physical body, and I've learned that stress and arthritis take a toll on your body. Because this and more, I feel led to share these thoughts with you. And this is more of a heart of a pastor message than anything else. As I mentioned, we're facing an election year. We have wars in Ukraine and Israel. The economy's uncertain. I've been talking to my financial planner more in the last six months than I have in the last two years, trying to make adjustments to figure out where the economy's going and how to best suit myself for the days of retirement. The downward turn in morality in our country is another change. The rate of technology change and the threat of cyber attacks and the stealing of people's identities is increasing. So here's some things to consider about transitions and changes that come to us. This is on your outline. First of all, face the reality that change is inevitable. Change is inevitable. I went to Liberty University from 1976 to 1980 for my undergrad, and the first year they were still building the campus. We weren't even on the campus. And so in 1977, my sophomore year, we were there. And our president at the time was Dr. Pierre Gillerman. And he said this over and over as the campus was being built around us, the most consistent thing about change is change, right? And we have to understand that. And we have to accept that even if we don't like the change, even if it's difficult, we have to have the reality that change is inevitable. Second of all, face the reality that transitions in leadership are always challenging. It's always difficult, even when the best transitions take place, to accept and move on successfully with a new person in leadership. You don't replace the person that left. They have a unique personality and a gift set that they brought to that position. People's personalities and styles are different. It takes some time to adapt to their view of things. And to give the new person time, even if he or she is known commodity, they need time in their new role with their new responsibilities to learn how to fly. I remember reading about a Christian college that got their pastor's majors, their preacher boys together. And what they want to do is teach them to preach just like imitate Billy Graham. And they thought if they could teach these guys to have the mannerisms and the words and all these things, that would make them successful in ministry. And when these guys went out, it was a big flop. You know why? Because you can't be somebody else. You have to be yourself and how God created you. So face the reality that change can be good and bad. It can be good and bad. 
Change is good for a variety of reasons. It may be time for a new direction and new ways of doing things. Change can bring new perspective. Change can bring new inspiration and a new spark to our lives. It gives us new things to learn. We need to be ever learning until the day we die. It breaks old ways of thinking about things and brings new habits. Sometimes change brings new vision, new direction, a new chapter in your life. Change allows you to stay relevant. Youth for Christ for decades has had the motto, geared to the times, anchored to the rock. You think about businesses and they change logos about every seven years to freshen things up. And we as a church are constantly listening to vendors and considering how we can work more efficiently, more effectively for less cost and better results. You have to do that to stay relevant. And while methods may change, the message of the gospel and the word of God is timeless. It must never change. Let me say that again. While methods may change, the message of the gospel and the word of God is timeless. It must never change. While changes can be bad as well, sometimes change brings difficult challenges to our life. And we don't have certainty of what's ahead. Change can make life and the situation different from what we knew and have done in the past. We kind of like to be creatures of habit. Companies who downsize, for example, and do not replace the employees that they let go and expect the other employees to pick up the slack, that's a difficult change to happen. New things to learn, that can be difficult. New faces with new ideas of things that haven't been tried before. So here are some things, five things, as we face change, here are the options of how to respond to change. I thought about this a long time. How, what are our responses? We're going to talk about what they should be, but here are possible responses. We can accept the change, that change is inevitable. We have to accept that. Second of all, we can embrace change with hope and anticipation. But we could be in denial about change. I've had people tell me that things, things aren't going to change. You want to hear a funny story? I was talking to Mayor Gallagher and the city administrator, and they said they told them for decades, there were, there were several people who told them for decades that the I-74 bridge would never be built. And even after it's built, they still deny it's there. <laughs> I mean, I was just like blown away when he told me that. We can complain and continue to grouse about change. We can withdraw or leave because of change. Those are our options as we deal with transitions, as we deal with things in our life. But I would like to start with the application this morning. I always wish I had more time in my messages to give good practical action points to consider. So before we look at the biblical teaching, let's look at how the rubber meets the road and how to stay stable during the winds of change. First of all, the application number one, we must come to the place mentally and in our heart that change is inevitable and then let the feelings follow. See, that's the hard part. When the change occurs, and sometimes these changes happen spontaneously, instantly, and we get all worked up, but we need to process, we need to let the feelings settle down and let them follow. We can't stick our head in the sand, the change is inevitable. Our lifestyle changes as we grow older. You think about the stages of life of a baby. 
And then you have an infant, and then a toddler who begins to walk and begins to talk. A child who begins to learn things. Adolescent who is trying to figure out who they are and what their purpose in life is as they're transitioning into adulthood. And then as some call the golden years or the last chapters of our life. Technology, you either embrace the changes or you can avoid them. Some of the changes are great and some are not. Some of the things technology affects us in is the way we work, the way we drive, the way we receive information, we transact business, the way we communicate. I can remember as a kid watching the Jetsons, the Jetsons cartoon show, and he had a watch where he could talk to somebody. And now I have a watch that I can talk to somebody. It's like you never think that's going to happen, right? And so the world is changing technologically, but the world's morals are evolving more and more away from the Judeo-Christian morals that this country was founded upon. George Washington and John Adams said that our Constitution, our Bill of Rights, and our way of living in America is predicated upon us having a good moral society of people who were religious. And he said, if we ever move away from religion and we, the churches aren't producing good moral people, then this country will cease to exist. The Roman Empire lasted a thousand years, but it fell apart because of immorality, because they could not enforce the morality or the laws on the people. It's rare in history for a country and its government to last longer than 200 years, and we've been blessed for so long in this country, but unless God brings revival to our church as a nation, which I continue to pray for, we're facing dark days ahead. Not to be a negative person, but a realist, we need to be reminded that we're either coming out of a storm as a person, either we're going into a storm, or we see storms on the horizon. I mentioned last week that out of 3,400 years of recorded history, only 268 of those years were without war. In Job 14.1, it says, man who is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. So we have to be realistic about this. I can remember my pastor in his 60s. He said this, I can do anything I could do at 18 for one minute. And then that the truth for most of us, right? People come and go throughout our lives. Friends in high school and college, Life is made up of seasons and chapters. God closes one door, opens another. We need to be willing to accept mentally and in our heart that change is inevitable, whether we like it or not, which is what we said in our first point. Second of all, we must embrace change because God is in the transformation business. God is in the transformation business. He's always changing us to conform us to be like Christ. Dawson Trotman, he was the founder of the Navigators and... Uh, one day, he was visiting in upstate New York. He was with a family they were close friends with, and they had a child. The child wandered off and went into a lake. And Dawson Trotman saw it happen, and he went and responded to try to save the child who couldn't swim. But Dawson Trotman couldn't swim either. And so what he did is he got underwater, and he held the child's body, his head, above the water, but Dawson Trotman drowned to death in that position. And when that news came to his wife on the shore, she quoted Psalm 31:15, My times are in your hand. You think of the process of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. 
called metamorphosis. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, it's interesting. You break that verse down into the Greek. See, the is is not there in the Greek. It's implied. But it's talking about is becoming. If anyone is in Christ, is becoming a new creation. The old has passed away. That's in the aorist tense, which means it's past event with ongoing consequences. So our old nature, our sinful nature, should be uh, becoming less and less powerful in our lives and declining. But then there's a command, behold, active command, it's happening, has come, is coming to pass. God is busy daily conforming us to Christ, which is his goal. And our daily ultimate goal is to do all we can to glorify him in how we live, what we say, how we serve, and what we do. So literally, in my interlinear Bible, straight from the Greek, it says, so if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away, behold, become new. God is changing us and transforming us every day in small, mundane, little ways, sometimes big ways, to make us more like Jesus. And that's what he's committed to do in Romans 8. It says, for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined, to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined, he also called and those whom he called, he also justified and those whom he justified, he also glorified. And a verse, two verses we looked at last week, Romans 8, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, now think about it, it's enough for me to think about, I'm going to be a, I am a child of God. But then he says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Think about that. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ, positionally right now. And so our security in the midst of change is who we are in Christ, and remembering that change is to conform us to the image of Christ. He talks about suffering. Suffering builds character and hope in Romans 5, verses 3 through 5. God disciplines us in loving ways when we sin. Hebrews 12, 11 says, for the, moment of, for, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So we know we're loved when we're disciplined. We know that there's a God who's trying to bring us back, prod us back. His kindness leads to repentance, Romans 2.4. But change releases more of God's grace in our lives as we adapt and adjust to that change. A verse that I've been focusing in on through this Christmas season is John 1.16. For from Christ's fullness, by his coming to earth, from Christ's fullness, we have all received grace upon Grace. You know what the picture is there? You ever stand at the shore and you see the waves coming in one after the other? That's grace upon grace upon grace that's coming into your life, just as consistent as those waves come in. One of my fellow classmates, I was watching a podcast of him this week, and he said this, Taylor made grace for everything you face. God knows exactly what you need and the type of grace. So the grace I need is different than the grace you need. 
But God tailor makes the grace for everything that you're going to face. And then we must learn to trust God who is the anchor of our soul when uncertainty prevails all around us. We've got to learn to trust in that. We're going to look a little deeper in the next point about that, but when uncertainty prevails, we see that he is the anchor in Hebrews 6.19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. We have that place that we can go to that the world doesn't have, that we have someone in Jesus Christ that is a person of hope, not just a hope-so kind of hope. Think about Job and what he went through. In chapter 1, verse 21, he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What a mature attitude. He had a deep relationship with his God to be able to say that. In Job 13, 15, Though God slay me, I will hope in him. Remember that you're not your own, that you've been bought with a price, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And as we read in our responsive reading, reading Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. It's not I, but Christ. We're merely stewards of the blessings and grace that God has given to us. Our possessions, our spiritual gifts, we hold material things loosely. So as changes occur in our country, changes occur in our culture, changes at our work, changes at our home, when kids go off to college, a marriage, a divorce, changes at church, they're unnerving at times. When we don't like changes, we have to be flexible. One of my Christmas gifts this year was a universal socket wrench adapter. And I like that thing because I could put it on my drill, I could put it on my socket wrench, and it will uh, turn a variety of sizes of nuts or whatever I want to do with it. It makes it flexible. You think about basketball. When you're playing basketball, you dribble up and you stop and you have a pivot foot. You have one foot that's planted, but you have a foot that can move back and forth to maybe get the ball passed to somebody or to make a shot. You got to be flexible. And we think of uh, the idea of one of the things I like is those flexible gripper pliers that work on a variety of things. Flexibility is important when it comes to change. And lastly, under application here, we must get alone with God and make sure all is well with our soul. Elijah, he went to the home of a Shunammite, a man and a woman, uh, their home, and the woman was barren. She didn't have any children. She was so desperate. She wanted a child so badly. And so Elijah, the prophet, made her a deal, said, look, if you make a place up in your attic for me to sleep and have a, you know, a lamp so that when I come to town to minister, if I can stay there, I will trust that God will give you a son. And she was skeptical. And she wanted to make sure that this was all going to happen, but she followed through and obeyed with what the prophets told her to do. And then as time went on, they, she got pregnant. She had a son. And then he began to be of age to be able to go out and work in the field. And one day he was out in the field and he got a headache. And he got sick. And his dad carried him home to the house. And the Bible says in 2 Kings 4 that he passed away. 
Now the woman, the Shunammite woman, was really upset because why would God allow this to happen in her life? She had waited so long. She was obedient to do what the prophet asked her to do. She got a son, and he only lived a few years, and now he's dead. And we pick up the story in 2 Kings 4, 25 through 27. I want you to notice her attitude. So she set out to go talk to him about this problem, her son being dead. She set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. And when the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, look, there is the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, is, it, is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And notice how she responded. And she said to Gehazi, all is well. And when she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet and Gehazi came to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone for she's in bitter distress and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. She knew that the one that could solve her problem, the one that could help her in her time of distress was the prophet of God. And of course, we know the story. He went and he brought healing and brought him back to life. But she said to the servant at first, all is well, because she knew where to go to find the source of help in her time of need. In Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. In Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge, refuge, our fortress, our place to go, and strength, a very present help in trouble. In Psalm 32.7, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Here's the question. Do you have a hiding place to go and get alone with God when the changes that are occurring in your life are overwhelming? Where you can go and say at the end of your time alone with God, all is well with your soul. On the screen, you see from the movie War Room, you might remember that lady. She was a big time advocate of prayer. And she had a room, a closet, that she would get alone with God and go to war on behalf of the saints and the prayer requests that she had for God. She had time alone with God, a hiding place. Do you have a hiding place that you can go to to get alone with God and be able to say all is well with your soul when changes come that are overwhelming? Well, take your Bible, turn over to Joshua 1. We've done the application, we've done the introduction. Now we're going to look at, very quickly, the biblical example of how to stay stable during the winds of change. We're going to see an example from Scripture of how Joshua dealt with Moses passing and the baton being given to him. We see in Joshua chapter 1, first of all, the preparation for change. The preparation for change. Look at verse 1. After the death of Moses, a servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, and here's the key phrase, Moses' assistant. Moses' assistant. You see, Joshua was chosen by God to be Moses' assistant all those years as Moses was leading uh, the Israelites out of Egypt and then through the wilderness experience. But then he was there at Moses' right hand to be able to take over at his death and lead the Israelites into the promised land. And you remember the story, Moses led them up to the brink of the promised land, but because of his disobedience, he wasn't allowed to go in. 
And God took him up onto a mountain and he let him see the promised land. And then with nobody else around, he took his life and buried him where no one knows where he was. And Joshua was left with becoming the next leader. It says in Exodus 24, 13, to, re- to emphasize the fact he was Moses' assistant. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua and Moses went up into the mountain of God. You can see that phrase, Moses' assistant, numerous times in Exodus and Numbers. In Exodus 27, we see the baton being passed. Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, God said, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them who shall lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is, is, the, is the spirit, and lay your hand on him. Make him stand before Eleazar the priest and all the congregation, and you shall commission him in their sight. You shall invest him with some of your authority that all the congregation of the people of Israel may obey. And he shall stand before Eleazar the priest who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. And at his word they shall go out and at his word they shall come in both he and all the people of Israel with him, the whole congregation. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and made him stand before Eliezer the priest and the whole congregation. And he laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord directed through Moses. We see that God is preparing the next person to step in when change occurs. It's up to any church or organization to recognize who that person is that God reveals to them to be the next leader. None of us are in a place where we're going to be forever. God is already preparing your and even my replacement. The new leader must be accepted and given time to prove themselves. And Joshua is trying to fill some big shoes, but God had prepared him for it. Second of all, we see the problem clearly explained as to why change is necessary. This is kind of one of those uh, duh things, but Moses, my servant, is dead. It's like, okay. That's pretty straightforward, right? There's going to be a change because Moses is gone. In Isaiah 6.1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Everybody had depended on Uzziah for over 60 years. He brought peace and prosperity to Israel and now he died. And now they had to look to someone else And Isaiah says, we need to look to the Lord. We need to look to the one who's high and lifted up. There was no going back for Joshua and Isaiah. There was no one to depend on but the Lord. And this is a good place to be. Acts 13, 36 says, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. He died and was laid with his fathers, and he saw corruption. God has a unique purpose and plan for each of us and our family and our work serving at church, wherever we are involved, and we are indestructible until God calls us home. As long as we are in the will of God and following him, he will uh, keep us in that place of service until he moves us on or calls us home. Then we see the plan to bring about change. Okay, now Moses is dead. Now I'm in charge. What am I supposed to do, Joshua said. Well, look at verse 2, the second part. Through verse 4, now, therefore arise, God says, go over this Jordan, you and all his people into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. 
Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given to you just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down the sun shall be your territory. Joshua was going to be able to fulfill the promise God made to Abraham in Genesis 15:7. God has a plan and a vision for his leader to carry out. God has a calling on our lives, and the challenge is up to us to stay focused on what that calling is through the thick and thin, through the ups and downs, the twists and turns of our lives. We see next the power to bring about change, the power. So it wasn't enough that God told him what he needed to do, but now he's going to give him the resources to know where to get this ability to lead these two million Israelites or whoever however many there were, into the promised land. And Joshua, it says in verse 5, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. He says, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. He says, You can do it. You're going to do it. You have the ability to do it because you are trusting in me and I'm going to fulfill that promise through you, the power to bring about change. God is the one working in and through us to bring about change in our personal sphere of influence, no matter how big or small that it may be. Then we see the pursuit, the pursuit of change by obeying God's commands. God goes on to say in verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. Notice he keeps repeating that because uh, I'm sure... Joshua is probably quaking in his boots. And he keeps saying to him, be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. And here's the key, verse 8. You want to be successful and prosperous? This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. God is saying to Joshua and the assembled people to follow the previous leader's principles and teachings that I gave him, Moses, and lived out by example of him as he walked the Israelites through the wilderness. This is the foundation as a leader during change to stand on. This is the rock that will never fail. Follow the lead of the previous leader who mentored you and who watched you lead and who you watched lead in the past. And then we see the last thing here, the planting of your vision for change on God's promises. The planting of your vision for change on God's promises. Verse 9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's that alone place. It's that knowing who God is. It's that all is well sense when the whole world is going crazy that you're able to continue to do what God wants you to do. And can you imagine the task that was placed on Joshua's shoulders, the mantle, the baton that was given to him? Well, knowing that God will never leave or forsake you and will be with you and lead wherever you go in such an important promise to focus on daily. God's never going to put you in a situation that you can't handle without his provision for you. 
Joshua was commanded by God during a time of dramatic transition and leadership and change to be strong and courageous because he found God and he knew that he was sufficient to be the strength to face anything. And God had proven himself faithful to bring he, remember, he and Caleb were the only two spies that believed they could go into the promised land. The only two spies that survived the travail through the wilderness that God promised would go into the promised land. They had that kind of faith. So here's your key thought. Remember that the most consistent thing in life is change. And continually ask, how does God want me to respond to the transitions in life? That's a really key thought to take into 2024. Because as we stand here today, we have no idea what the next year holds, personally, for our country, for our world. But we know God's on the throne. God doesn't have a panic button sitting next to the throne. He knows exactly what's going to happen, and we need to find our way to trust deeply in him. In conclusion, my hope and prayer is that through this message, you can rest assured that no matter what turmoil happens in the world or what happens to us personally, God has ordained it and allowed change to occur for positive reasons. I close with this reading. Singer-songwriter Sandra McCracken, she writes a blog post in Christianity Today, which I read every month, and she said this, we've been shopping for a new home. It's tiring and exciting, a roller coaster of emotion for all of us. My young son, for example, is sentimental about every tiny imperfection in our 90-year-old house. I tell him it's time for a new season. But looking into his eyes, I feel as though I'm looking into a mirror. I was changed a verse two when I was young. I still feel small sometimes. And in moments like this, I don't want to let out the sails. I'd rather stay put. The sooner we make peace with the fact that we are on a journey of perpetual change, she writes, the sooner we can move in close to the God who's unchangeable. His constancy proves him over and again to be our one steady hope. Creation itself offers us hopeful picture of change. We welcome change each quarter in the renewal of the seasons, each transition appealing to our senses. Scripture is full of God's faithful refrains about hope rather than fear in the midst of change. Isaiah 33, 2 says, Lord, be gracious to us. We long for you. Be our strength every morning, our salvation in time of distress. In line with the humility of the earth, we have the opportunity to start over with every sunrise. We hope we open ourselves to God's greater redemption as we see that he has made everything beautiful in its time. Ecclesiastes 3.11, we read in our uh, scripture reading. Letting go of our old ways is an act of humility. Trusting when a tree is carefully pruned, it bears more fruit than before. So allow change to work in your life this year. And don't be bitter about it, but trust that God has a purpose and a plan for doing it. Let's pray. Father, as we come to the end of 2023 and we're on the threshold of 2024, Lord, help us. Help us to be able to say in the depths of our soul, all all is well with my soul. Because we have found you as our hiding place our place to go to, our strong tower for safety, our refuge, the place that we can go to and know that you're the anchor of our soul. 
Lord, I pray that you will help this to resonate in our hearts and our minds throughout this new year. And we just pray that you will uh, help us to uh, apply these principles in our life if we're not already applying them, to be in your word, to be able to see things from your perspective as we move into 2024. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.